It's super cool because I didn't, I didn't plan on that. I didn't know that was going to happen today. I didn't know Nate was going to say nice things about me, and I planned on just getting up here and starting by teasing him and telling you all that I'm his beard guru. I'm trying to teach him how to grow a real beard, but uh, actually, so Nate and I have a lot in common, but what we do not have in common is our shape. I am uh, some kind of a shape, and uh, he looks like he is chiseled out of marble from, like, he looks like a, a statue in Florence, Italy, actually. Look at that. Doesn't that look like Nate? absolutely crazy. He's a specimen of a man, but he's also, you know what, you guys are really lucky. You're really blessed to have Nate here as your pastor. Uh, he's a good man. Uh, so my name is John, and I'm, I'm grateful to be here with you today. Uh, we're going to look at uh, today Psalm 13, which actually a couple of weeks ago you touched on just briefly, and we're going to go back and uh, take a look at that just so you know where we're headed. When I, when I sat over coffee with Nate, and I, I, I asked him, I said, hey man, what do you want to accomplish with this series? We met up in Auburn at, at, uh, at the Poor Choice Coffee House, which is amazing, right? Have you guys been up there? Oh my gosh. Okay. So both of you enjoy it. That's great. That's fantastic. So he said, um, I want this to be something where we all learn as a community how to approach God looking at the Psalms and through the Psalms about what it means to be authentic, vulnerable, and honest with God. And I love those words. So this is what I hear when I hear those words. These are the stories that come to mind for me, right? When I think of authentic, authenticity, I think of Jesus talking to a woman in the book of John, a woman that culturally he was not supposed to be speaking to. And uh, she asked him a question. She said, where should we worship? Should it be over here? Should it be over here? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Listen, this is what God is looking for. He's looking for worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth. And we could spend all day talking about what that means. But, but at its core, it's really kind of, uh, we don't only know God with our, with our head, right? We don't only know God cognitively or, or try to know God, uh, search after God, seek God. But, but also with our, with our emotions, with everything that he's given us. So, so it's like spirit and truth. It's, it's everything. It's very authentic. This is, this is how authentic that kind of worship is and what it causes us to do. Uh, as Jesus is talking to this woman, he starts telling her stories about all of the things that she's done in her life. And some people might think those stories that he told are shameful. They're not things that you really celebrate, right? You know what she did? She got excited. And she ran into the town, and she started telling everybody, come and meet a man who has told me everything I've ever done. But it was, it was the bad stuff, right? But see, the thing about authenticity and our relationship with God is, man, it is an incredible spot to be where everything that we have going on inside of here and inside of here, God knows. We just talk about it. We you know, we know we're not going to pull one over on God. We're not going to surprise him. He's, he's not afraid of that stuff. And to be fully known by God and to, to know that he is revealing himself to us, that's, that's authentic. That's beautiful. And so I love that word. And then vulnerable. This was the other word that Nate said he, he, he brought up in regard uh, to this series. Vulnerable. I think of the Apostle Paul's uh, words in 2 Corinthians 12 where he talks about uh, God's strength being perfected in our weakness. He says, God says this to him, my grace is all you need. My power works best 
in weakness. This is vulnerability. It doesn't mean that God wants us um, in a weak spot, you know, like cowering uh, all the time. That, that, that's not what it is. It just means when you and I get to the end, and we know what the end is, right? When we get to the bottom of the bottom, it's good to know that God meets us there. And everything that he is meets us in that spot. And he's like, he feels like a cuddly God at that spot, right? As I was preparing this, you know, uh, you have to, I'm, I'm going to give you a peek in, inside the mind of anybody who's ever putting a message together. I, it feels like we always start with, all right, God, what do you want to speak through me to them, right? And 99.99999% of the time, we go, oh, this is what you want to say to me, right? This is what you want to say to me. And so I'm excited to take a look at this psalm today because it is speaking volumes to me this week, this season. Let me ask you this. It's rhetorical. You don't have to answer out loud, all right? How honest do you think you are with God about what you're feeling inside? Now, over the last couple of weeks, you've talked about this a little bit, and, and mostly in the context of, like, getting in touch with my feelings and how I feel about other people, right? But, so how are we doing? How do we feel about that, that honesty? Uh, Proverbs 12, verse 17 says, an honest witness tells the truth, but a false witness tells lies. So are we speaking the truth to ourselves and, and to God? What does that look like? The, the language there is literally... Uh, are we speaking faithfully? Are we breathing the truth? It's th the nuance of the, of the phrase there when it speaks of honesty in the Proverbs is, is the same nuance that the Bible uses when it talks about fidelity in a marriage, right? It's honest. It's real. It's, it's not supposed to be broken, right? So how are we doing? Just think about that as we go through the psalm. And then ask ourselves uh, this question. What does dishonesty look like? I think that's an important different angle for the question. So not only am I being honest, but, uh, but what about dishonesty? What does that look like? Well, I think, I think Jesus people are really good at cloaking our dishonesty. Because I, I, I think sometimes our dishonesty is served as like the right religious words, the right religious sentiment that's wrapped in a religious sounding burrito. Right? But we don't really honestly feel that way. So I'm a musician, um, and I like to think of this in terms of taking like a minor key sentiment, minor key feelings, and spinning them into a major key. I'll give you a very real example of this, all right? I don't want you to dislike the song I'm going to bring to your attention, by the way. It's okay to sing the song. It's okay to enjoy the song, but here's, here's the kind of thing that I, I mean with dishonesty and the minor key, major key thing. There's a song uh, that's uh, a little bit older. I, I, I have to check this. Maybe 10 years old. Matt Redman, uh, this author, wrote it. And there's a, there's a refrain that says, you give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will always say, Lord, blessed be your name. But you know how we sing that? We sing it like this. Right? <laughs> Woo! And I, I remember specifically like being in church one day and singing that and going, no, this is... This feels dishonest to me right now. Again, I don't want to ruin it, but for me, I went, when I say those words, you give and take away, it's more like this, right? You give and you take away. Now, I want my heart to always say, blessed be your name, but, 
But you understand what I mean? How we take minor key sentiment and we, 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 we spin it sometimes. So it's good to ask what does dishonesty look like? How are things going? Oh, pretty good, pretty good. Lie, <laughs> right? How honest are we now with how we feel toward God? This is a whole other level. Not only honest with our feelings, with one another, about situations, but how we feel towards God. Is there room for us to feel permission to be angry at God, to express uh, discontent, confusion, uh, disagreement, uh, try on our sarcasm with God? I think I have the spiritual gift of sarcasm sometimes. It's not really a good thing, actually, but uh, not always, anyway. Sometimes it, never mind. All right. We're going to look at Psalm 13. It says this, all right? And, and, and I love this. We're, we're going to read this out, out together, all right? We'll, we'll look at it here. It says this. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Now, I purposefully read this psalm like a Hallmark card, right? Because, because I think it, I, I wanted to kind of do it injustice at first, because I think sometimes this is how we approach reading the Bible, or hearing the words in the Bible. We treat it like it's bathroom reading material or it's chicken soup for the soul, right? But, but there, is something, there is something messy and disorganized about this psalm, this prayer. And I think it's important for us to know. I, I call this the for crying out loud psalm. My grandfather, this was his favorite saying, like when he was displeased, when he had frustration, he would say for crying out loud. And it was usually like working in the garage on something, he would bang his knuckles and oh, for crying out loud, and that wrench would go across the room, right? So I think there's that happening in the psalm, but I also think it's a, it's a double entendre, it's a for crying out loud. In other words, there is volume behind these words. Right? This amp goes to 11, right? You got it. You're a musician. It's all right. All right. It's, there is volume behind these words, these honest words. Now, if you're reading along in the Bible, you may have noticed that I, I skipped when I read it off the screen what's called the superscription. The superscription is like the liner notes of the album. The superscription is the direction uh, for the song. And there's usually, in the Psalms, when there's a, a, a superscription, we oftentimes see an occasion or an event that's tied to the superscription. So, like if you read Psalm 51, you'll find that it's a Psalm of David, and you'll also find that it was written after he committed adultery and the prophet Nathan approached him. So now, when, when you know that, and you kind of know what the background is for the Psalm, like Psalm 51, you go... Oh, whoa, this is weighty. Like, this has an occasion. This has a story behind it. What I think is beautiful about the superscription of Psalm 13 is that 
it doesn't have a specific occasion, and it's for the choir director. It's a, it's a corporate worship piece. In other words, it, it's, it's our song. It's for us, you guys. It's, it's, it's about the human plight, everyone's story. That's great. So we're supposed to resonate and connect with the words of David when he, when he says, how long, Lord? Remember, there's volume here. How long, Lord? And he's using, he's using God's special name here. He's using the name Yahweh, which um, God, we learned about, uh, God gave that to Moses. Uh, he said, tell the people the I am sent you. And some scholars say it even has a deeper meaning than I am. It means I will be the God that I am to my people. I think that's, that's beautiful. Very personal name. Uh, often it was, uh, it was called the Tetragrammaton. That's your dorky little word for today. And uh, it, was, um, it was not pronounced with the vowels. You just didn't say that you, you had respect for this like, high and lofty name, but it's also very deeply personal. And this is a good story. Some have even suggested that the consonants, the Y-H-W-H that's pronounced yod heh vav heh in the Hebrew, that it actually sounds like breath. That God gave himself a name to be known by that sounds like our very breath. So, yah, hey, vav, hey. It's wild, right? And some have also suggested then, when we talk about a baby being born and breathing their very, or screaming, their very first breath, that they're actually speaking the name of God. That's a mind blower, right? This is the God that the psalmist is talking to. How long? He says it four times. Which, by the way, if you're a U2 fan, it's the exact same amount of times that they use how long in Sunday Bloody Sunday. High five. <laughs> he says, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? In other words, he's saying, how, how long are you going to ignore me? Are, are you oblivious, God? Are you, are you absent? Are, are you concealing yourself? Are you camouflaging yourself? Is this a game for you? Are you wearing a mask? Because I don't see you. Wow. Goes deeper. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? Other translations say, how long should I take counsel in my own soul? You ever been to counseling? I have. <laughs> I am not only a member of that club. <laughs> yes. I'm a president, yes. Counseling. I've counseled other people. I've sat and been counseled. Beautiful thing. Love counseling. Now, when you go to counseling, what do you expect? You can talk out loud. It's okay. We can play. Honesty. Honesty. Sure. You expect uh, that you're going to be heard, right? Not only do you expect you're going to be heard, what do you expect after you tell your story? Response, wisdom, a way forward, tools, something, give me something, right? Otherwise, we don't want to pay for counseling anymore, right? If we're not getting anything out of it. And the psalmist is saying, do I have to counsel myself? 
Because I feel like I'm just speaking and you're not saying anything back. I feel like my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. I love that. And then maybe in my favorite part of the psalm, he gets super-de-duper honest and says, look on me and answer, Lord my God. You have kids? They're not paying attention to you. What might you say to them? <laughs> Where'd that come from? Yes, look at me, right? I mean, especially if you've asked over and over and over and over again, right? You might grab their little face even. You love them to pieces, but you might grab their little face and look at me, right? That's what's happening here. The psalmist is so raw and honest that he's, he's grabbing by God by the cheeks and saying, consider me, pay attention to me. And another nuance of this word is respect me. Wow. That is intense. Then he goes on, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. It's real poetic language here, which, by the way, this whole thing is a poem. We see this Hebrew parallelism in the poetry. How long this? How long this? How long this? And it's supposed to add this intensity and rhythm uh, and meter to the poem, right? Because in Hebrew poetry, there's this rhyming thought thing going on all the time. And so it's supposed to feel like it's chugging away like a train when we read this thing. And then he says, give light to my eyes. And the language that he's using here is like, make daybreak happen. Make the sun come up. Crack the sky for me. Why? Because I am dying here. You see that? Like, don't just pass by that language. You guys, we, we, we've got we've to understand that when he says, I will sleep in death, that what he's saying is, I'm, I'm dying. I'm, I'm at the end, God. Prayer, true confessions, is one of the most mysterious, confusing parts of my life. I've been following God since I was nine years old. I've been a Jesus follower, so 20 years. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyway, um, <laughs> stupid. I'm so sorry for that. Um, I still don't completely understand it. I still don't completely understand it. I'll tell you why I do it. I mean, there's a whole bunch of reasons why I do it. Number one, Jesus prayed, so... I'm a Jesus follower. I want to I do the things Jesus did, so I, I pray. Um, I talk to God like Jesus talked to his Father. It centers me. It gets my mind off of me, especially like if I'm praying for my enemies, which that's a trip. And I'm not talking about your enemies like wherever, you know, overseas in a different country, whatever, the man. <laughs> I'm talking about... Like people that if we're legit honest, we don't like so much. We probably hate them. Like that's a real deal. It changes me when I, when I bring that to God and I talk about that. Uh, it, prayer helps me depower my yucky thoughts. When I hear myself say things out loud to God, it helps depower them and settle things in my heart. And that's a, that's a habit I'm in, by the way, is praying out loud. Uh, because there's something about hearing yourself say the words out loud uh, to God. It makes me more thankful. But, 
But here's the other side. Here's what I also know about prayer. God doesn't always answer me. Certainly not in the way I want. Uh, God doesn't change his mind sometimes. Uh, uh, sometimes it feels like he doesn't hear me. I certainly know by this point in my life that God doesn't do my bidding. But I believe with every part of me that God wants me to be honest with him and not hold anything back. So there's David who wrote this psalm, another favorite honest person in the biblical account for me is a guy named Jeremiah. He's a prophet. It's the longest book in the Bible, about 626 B.C. Jeremiah is a prophet. And, um, and God at the beginning of Jeremiah sets him down and says, Jeremiah, this is my paraphrase, it's going to be good. I got some things for you to say, and I've got your back. Don't worry. I'm not going to let him take you down. Then you get about 20 chapters into that. And after Jeremiah is beaten and thrown into stocks, and you imagine him outside the city with people insulting him and spitting on him and throwing rocks at him, you go, what lexicon is God using where protection looks like this? So what does Jeremiah do? I love this in this honest phrase. Just, just listen to these, these four words. <laughs> Jeremiah 27, he says, you deceived me, Lord. It's another way to say that. You lied. God, God you're a liar. Wow. Now, this gives me hope because... Jeremiah was not struck dead by lightning at that point, right? The psalmist David was, was not struck dead by expressing these words in the psalms time and time again. So that gives me hope. That I, I watch these people saying these brutally honest things throughout history, and I go, I, you mean I can approach God like that? Yeah, I have that kind of an invitation. So when I start feeling confusion and abandonment, abandonment and, and resentment and, and anger towards God, that's, that's a good spot to start and to talk normal. Not to put on lofty words or spiritual sounding words, but just to talk normal to God. Like we would talk to somebody when we're sharing coffee, to talk and say, this is how I feel, and to feel all the feels. Here's a great thing. David, Jeremiah, they were convinced of God's character. And this is why they felt the freedom. When we're convinced of God's character and love, then we know it's safe. We know that it's safe, and that's a beautiful place to be. And Jeremiah talked about God being the creator, about God being powerful, about God being the redeemer, about God being everywhere present, about God wanting to heal everything. Jeremiah always talked about these things. I think the more you and I, too, talk about those things and dig into the character of God and, and, and walk with God, uh, then we, we start to feel more and more safe to be able to say what we feel to God. He's a parent. I'm a parent. I remember my youngest daughter's 20 right now. Uh, but I remember when she was a little kid, just like yesterday, I remember her storming out of her room and... Super loud saying, I hate you to me. Who knows what I did? I hate you. 
Now, if your child has ever said that to you, what do you do? You, you, you love them. Still. Like, I, I just wanted to hug her. Did I want her to say it again to me? No. <laughs> but did I, you know, send her to bed without dinner? No. No. I wanted to know what was going on inside of her. I wanted to be that much closer to her. See, that's what, that's what God does with you and I. He, he can handle it. Psalm 62, 8 says, pour your heart out to God. He is a refuge for you. It doesn't say to rehearse your prayers and clean them up and make them spiritual sounding and use King James English because Downton Abbey language is way cooler when you talk to God. <laughs> it doesn't say put on a happy face. It doesn't say turn your frown upside down. It doesn't say take out the cussing or the hand gestures. God is a refuge. Now, the end of the psalm, Psalm 13, has this upswing, right? Where he says, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I'll sing the Lord's praise for he's been good to me. I don't think we're supposed to read this like everything is all wrapped up nice and tidy for the psalmist. We're, we're supposed to see that he's now leaning into what he knows to be true about God, but he doesn't necessarily feel at this point. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, and he's saying, I'm going to keep going here, God. I, I, I want to be thankful. I've seen you be faithful before, so I, I want to lean into this. I trust that everything's going to be okay. Give me perspective. I think that's what's happening at the end of this. Not that everything feels all nice and tidy at the end. If we rely completely on how we feel at the end of our honesty, then that's... We're, not, we're never going to be happy with that. There's an old story. Uh, it's called The Screwtape Letters, written by C.S. Lewis, and it's about this, uh, this, if you can imagine this, this senior devil writing letters to his nephew about how to mess us up. Right? Fun story. Great story. Classic. And this is what Screwtape, the senior devil, says about prayer and feelings and emotions. He says, teach them, that's us, me, you, Teach them to estimate the value of each prayer by their success in producing the desired feeling. Never let them suspect how much success or failure of that kind depends on whether they're well or ill, fresh or tired at the moment. Oh, I, th I think that's just such a, such a great story and a great thing uh, to imagine. Look, if you don't hear anything else today, then, then please hear this. I, God's not afraid of our honesty. Oh, my goodness. Like he's inviting us to the table to, to talk with him, like his kid, because that's who we are. The Apostle Paul said this at the, at a, in a great spot of scripture. He said, I'm convinced, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And, and I would add, and certainly not a messed up, honest, confused, hurt, despondent, or even angry prayer. We're going we're gonna to practice something today, and I'm going to ask the ushers to pass something out to you. Uh, did you get them already?
Have you been reading ahead? Is it like one of those Scantron things? Like where you, I should have, okay. So this is, uh, this is a uh, personal Mad Lib of Psalm 13. Uh, and this is, as I was thinking through this, do you remember Mad Libs as a kid? So like there were these books and you just filled in the nouns and the adjectives and the, and the verbs if you remember what those things are. Try to make it easy for us, but here's the prayer. Uh, how long is this going to go on, Lord? Seriously, for crying out loud. And then think of a situation as you're going through this this week, and you don't have to fill it out right now, but think of a situation and, and say, this thing, whatever it is, is driving me crazy and I can't take it anymore. If that's how you feel. I don't want to put words in your mouth if that's how you feel. I'm calling you by your special name, Lord, Yahweh. The name that some won't even pronounce out loud. I'm speaking to you as the God who said he would be everything to me and reveal himself to me. But if I'm honest, I think you've forgotten about me. And it's almost like you're hiding or playing some game with my emotions. And that doesn't seem right. So are you going to leave me to figure this out on my own because I'm coming up empty? And your absence makes me feel adjective <laughs> and emotion. Think through those things. I feel like a failure sometimes, and I fear everyone else will feel the same about me. They probably love to see me fail, especially, and you've probably got somebody on your mind. Like, who are the people that will gloat and, and applaud your downfall? Do you ever feel like that sometimes? The psalmist did. So t take some time with the rest of this, all right? Um, fill it out this week. Put it on your refrigerator. Put it on your, uh, your, your nightstand. Keep it in your car. Put it in your purse. Fold it up and put it in your Bible. But, but come back to it because if you're like me, uh, we need some things like this, some exercises to, to help us to learn how to practice and to do these things. Deal? All right. God, thank you for this psalm. Thank you for the honesty. Thank you for this whole group uh, of psalms that uh, we're going to be looking at in this series over the summer. Uh, thank you that uh, this history, when we read these things, God, it helps us to understand that uh, these real people in real life situations uh, were able to express honest things to you, and you met them right there. And that's, that's so encouraging to us. That's so helpful, Lord. And so we want, we want to be uh, those kind of people that feel like we can enter into that, and we, and we hear your invitation into that honesty. Thanks for calling us your kids, and we love you. Amen.